See, people who run into the future are generally poor tournament players. So they think about what people will say and how they'll be known. The greatest tournament players I've ever found are people who so love the moment that they love it like an addiction. The Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. So welcome. This is part two of our interview with legendary golf coach, author, speaker, and consultant, Fred Shoemaker, founder of Extraordinary Golf. If you haven't yet listened to part one, uh, which is episode 015, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to that first. It's uh, the 015 Extraordinary Golf, Learning How to Coach Yourself. You'll get a great context for what Extraordinary Golf is all about and a nice lead into what we're going to discuss today. So we begin this episode, episode part two, with a powerful story from one of Fred's students and clients who actually was on the European Ryder Cup team. And this individual made that pressure putt at the very end to win the Ryder Cup and defeat the U.S. team. I mean, before the call, you and I are going to get on here and talk. And my mind says, geez, I hope I have something worthwhile to say. It says that before everything I do. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's automatic. Like, there's a guy who came to me once and he said, uh, we were doing the coaching thing. He says, I want to tell you a story about coaching. I made the winning putt in the Ryder Cup. I said, I know. I saw it on TV. And he said, I'd like to tell you a story about it because I think it'll help your coaching. So that was all ears. Yeah. And he said, two weeks before the Ryder Cup, I was playing, he was playing a tournament in Europe. And on the 35th hole of the tournament, he knew he had already missed the cut. He had a five-foot putt. And he said, I was scared to death of a five-foot downhiller. So he misses the cut. And he says, this doesn't bode well for the Ryder Cup. Yeah. So he, he gets into the Ryder Cup. He's on the European side. Mm-hmm. And he's, it just so happens his point is going to change the Ryder Cup. So he's coming down the 18th hole at the Belfry when they used to play it back there. And he misses a green to the left. Uh, and he chips it up to 12 feet. He knows that he makes this putt 12-footer. Uh, the Ryder Cup is Europe's. He said, when I was coming down the fairway, The story got so big in my head, what it means for me, what it means for the country, what it means for the continent. Yeah. He says, I couldn't entertain it because I could not even function. So he says, I got over the putt and the story got big again. and I just couldn't entertain it. I just stopped it. I just not going there. And I said, I had to be in this putt. He's a spot putter. So he picked out a spot about three feet from the hole. And his words went something like, The putter took itself back. I felt I hit it solidly. I turned my head at about the eight-foot mark. I saw it hit the spot, and then it went into the hole. He says, I don't remember anything out of that. Everybody jumps around and so forth. Wow. And he says, I'm telling you the story because the first time in my life I've actually experienced freedom. I didn't understand. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's the first time in my life I was actually committed to the putt 100%. He says, commitment is the only freedom I have ever found. He said, when you're really committed to something, like not faux commitment or, or trying to, he said, when you're really committed to something, there's no back door. There's no second thoughts. You simply are there doing it. There's no little voice in your head. 
calculating, then they could take you away or a little bit. He says, real commitment is something I had never known before. And he said, it's the only freedom I have ever found in golf. And he became the captain of the Ryder Cup team and told them that story on the first night. Wow. So yeah. just notice that commitment is an onus or a burden is baloney. See, what does it mean to be committed to a shot? This is, I'm here. This goes there. That's it. You know, rather than how am I going to look? What's the relation to par, et cetera, all that stuff. All that external stuff that gets in the way. The interference, yeah. the interference that you told, talked about in your book, carving that away. People are committed to all sorts of things in their life. They don't even know it. Some people are just committed to their family. You know, if an accident happens on the road, people jump around to help. They don't consider, oh, my God, this could be terrible for I'll see blood. I could have other extenuating circumstances. No, when you're really committed to something, you just act. And it's in the action. It's in that moment that there's a certain beautiful freedom to it all. That's what pierces resignation, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, lots, lots to chew on here for sure. And uh, I go back to um, what you said in the book, and you started to talk about it. You said the typical golfer is uncommitted, and they don't even know what commitment means. And I think this Ryder Cup story was a great example of what commitment means. The, they're constantly judging. In other words, what's wrong with my swing? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And trying to fix it. And you've talked a lot about that as judgment and that we shouldn't be judging ourselves. And then there's the third point where you talked about we're always probably two shots away from being really upset <laughs> and really frustrated because uh, we're waiting for the next shoe to drop. We've had five good holes in a row, and boy, we're going to have to bring it back to normal here. We're going to have a couple of bad holes, and we're priming ourselves for getting really frustrated. So I, I kind of wanted to, to delve into that a little bit. Sure. How do we keep from that mindset creeping in and ultimately destroying what could be a very extraordinary experience in playing golf that day? Yeah, the, the first thing to everything to make a difference is to experience that you're doing it. So do you have a handicap, Dean? What's it? Are you handicap? I do. What, what's it, it's about what? My USGA handicap at the moment is 8.6. Terrific. Now, I know if you shoot 37 on the front nine, I know to bet everything on the back. Mm, yep. Because you're going to have to get a double bogey just to feel comfortable somewhere. So we are usually destined to fulfill our self-image. Yeah. It's sort of like correcting for the error of that 37. Yeah, it's like a thermostat. I mean, if you start out birdie, par, birdie, par, I know you'll blow up. And if you start out bubble, bogey, bogey, double, I'm not betting now because you'll settle down and start playing well differently. And that, I mean, that's not always 100%, yeah. but it's pretty common. Yeah. So the, one of the first things to realize is that mostly we stay within a certain band. I mean, if I was your caddy, you shoot 36 on the front. You're an eight handicap. Mm -hmm. On the 10th day, I'd say, wait a second, Dean. Don't go there. Just don't go there where you're going. This idea of holding it together, getting it to the barn, maybe trying to get a good hole here. What were you committed to in the first tee? Can we start over again? Mm. Can you just be present and play this shot? See, people who run into the future are generally poor tournament players. Yeah. So they think about what people will say and how they'll be known. The greatest tournament players I've ever found are people who so love the moment that they love it like an addiction because they're more present in the last nine holes of a tournament than they are in the rest of their lives. 
And they want to be in that place because they are so focused and so present. And it was this great match of Tom Watson and Jack Nichols, 1977, I think, at Turnberry. And they, they shot 65, 65, 65, 66. And Watson wins by a shot. Wow. But when you really talk to them about this event, they were so alive and so present. It's the, what they love the most about golf. It isn't just the winning. Great tournament players have the capacity to bring their attention to the moment. Poor tournament players are thinking about the future, where they're either going to get praise or not praise. And that's why they play poorly. And eventually they drop out of tournaments of some sort. It's a good bellwether to find out whether you play tournaments or not. Are you there? And when you all of a sudden you start playing a little better than what you want, can you let go of the story and just come back to this moment and revel in this moment? It sounds so simple, but it is not simplistic. No, it's not. And I'm thinking of a typical senior golfer who might be listening to this show is, you know, I'm not necessarily going to be playing tournaments, but I do like to go out and, you know, have a little side bet on that sure. round with my buddies. And, uh, you know, I haven't been winning a lot lately, so I'd like to turn that around and take their money for a change. And yeah. uh, so, you know, being present to those moments sounds like it would be the same idea, but on, on a scale that would be relatable for them. Well, in a simple way of talking about it, most people play indoor golf. They're in their heads, in the calculations and hopes, and what I did the last hole, and what was working in the driving range, that whole thing. It's a mismatch in there. People who play better golf at, at that moment are people who are out of their heads into the course, feeling the club head related to a target. It's they play out in the field, so to speak, not stuck in their own head. I know this is, sounds probably like a pejorative uh, summation. But my sense is people get older, they get more in their head. You know, a lot of 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds are pretty much playing golf. But as you get older, it gets more interior. At least that's what my father told me and it's what my mind jumps to. And observing many people. Yeah, and getting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tips from your friends, hundreds of hundreds yeah. of small little tip articles that you might have read in Golf Digest. The plethora of things you're going to see and hear on TV, it, it, gets, it gets extraordinarily full of stuff in your head. Yes. And you can watch it by just how long people take sometimes to take a swing. Yeah. <laughs> They're thinking of everything in their head. One of the things that you'll notice is when people throw a club to a target, you ask people when they observe their videos throwing something, what changes? And one of the things that changes is when people realize the ball is not the target. Right. The target's out there. And almost all swings conform to the ball as the target. Yeah. And you can see why people cast the club and why their bodies get stuck and why they can't finish a club because the ball is it. See, if you get a person to say, you're 100 yards from the hole, what's your target? Every human being will say the front of the green, the green of the pin or something. Everyone knows that. Right. But if you take them up to the top of the swing, at the top of the swing, you say, what's your target? When they really think about it, most people will say the ball becomes the target at the top of the swing. Yeah. And given that, our bodies respond to that as the target. Remember, the target always leads out a certain technique, no matter what target you have. So I'll, I'll give you, what's this target? If I get to the first tee and I say, oh, man, I haven't played in two weeks, and uh, my dog kept me up all night, and I got some new clubs. Can you hear the target that I'm speaking about is, please don't have high expectations of me. Because yeah. if you do and I fail, I'll feel badly. So we do this whole song and dance about lowering expectations. And most people don't realize it's just trying to make a new target. 
everything has a target. Rarely do we know what target we're connected to. Mm. Just like golf. There's a target. And at the top of the swing, most people change to the ball and make sure, you know, I have to survive and hit it solidly. And generally ha- having that mindset slows the body down and actually probably changes the path of the club, which makes it so you probably don't hit it solidly. The very thing we think makes all the difference is the source of our frustration. So here's a personal example. Yes. I'm very well aware. In fact, I teach uh, kids and, and, and other, other friends and, and family and that sort of thing that the ball is not the target. So I know that. I've known that for, for quite a while. I would say that almost every bad shot I make, and you know, as an 8.6, I'm going to have my share of them across the round. Almost every one of them I can link to two things, and one of them I want to talk about as well. But one is the ball somehow becomes the target. And when it does, I'm flipping at it or I'm scooping it, various things like that. And it leads to a bad shot. So I say, oh my goodness, how did I do that? I can't believe I did that, Mm -hmm. but I did it. And so I'm curious as to why that happened. So that's question number one. And maybe I'll tee up the other question is concentration and focus. Because I I hear that a lot from my fellow senior golfers is I'm I'm not concentrating. I I lose my focus. So let's delve into both of those two areas just a little bit. Good. Those are great questions. So here's the first one. You ever know what a koan is? It's kind of like a phrase that it's a little bit ambiguous, but it's kind of like a pithy saying. No, well, I haven't heard that expression before. K-O-A-N. K-O-A-N. Now, okay, it's a koan. I'll backtrack and then come to this. When I was in college, I studied something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Oh, yeah. Abraham Maslow. Sure. I know So that. they talk about the basic baseline for human beings. They have to have air, food, water, and shelter to survive. If you don't have that, don't talk to them about anything. Just get that. After that, you can talk about creativity and family and community and all sorts of other things. Right. Well, the baseline of golf, the thing that allows for survival is solid contact. So without the trust of solid contact, the mind can never really be with the target because it's in survival. Okay. So it's like, uh, imagine you and I are playing tennis. And, you, and I'm hitting the ball all over the metal and the racket. And you talk to me about court strategy. I would say, wait a second, wait a second. I got to hit the ball first, man. <laughs> Don't distract me with that stuff. So you get to the top of the swing and the survival mechanism takes over. And please let me hit that. Yeah. See, this notion of the ball becomes a target is pointing to something. It's pointing to the fact that you have not completed solid hit. Mm-hmm. See, there comes a point in tennis, you just know you're going to hit it pretty solidly. There comes a point in driving, you keep the car on the road. There comes a point in throwing a ball that you know you can kind of get it near the target. And if you don't get that, you cannot be with the target. So the first thing is to get it done. It's not that tough. The capacity, if you ever hit a ball fat, where to pay your attention to, to make a difference in the next one. And people can play 50 years and still get up to the top of the swing and have no trust in a solid contact. Yeah. I had that by the time I was eight years old. Yeah. Everybody who's ever played the game is, you know, at any level has always got that. And it's not that difficult. It's a physical experience that, that allows for solid contact. We've all had it. No matter what our level is, we've had that one shot that we would say, wow, that was solid contact but not differentiating the difference between that shot and the one that wasn't. That's the art. That's the key. That's the art, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the capacity to experience what makes a forward divot in this, you know, 
that kind of thing. It's not, it's not that tough. But you'll notice that most of the people you play with still aren't sure. And I'm not talking about perfection, okay? That right. perfect shot. I'm talking about, say, I hit an eight, eight iron, 160 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm talking it goes somewhere between 150 and 165. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm pretty sure if I hit 100 balls, 99 of them would go in that range. Yep. So that would be for like for your average person. At some point, if you're going to hit an eight iron, you know you're not going to dump it short in the lake, and you know you're not going to skull it. So that's solid contact. And the optic is to get it done, get it over with, so you can move on to other things. You know, get Maslow's hierarchy done. So that would be one thing. And it's always one of the first things you start out with a golf school. Just come on, let's get it over. So just work on that. If that was one thing they took away from today. Yeah. What would allow for it? Everybody knows the ball needs to be struck first and it brushed in front of it. How does it happen? You know, and and without coming over the top to have it happen. So that's one thing. And the second thing about concentration that you talked about, you have to realize that every moment we're always concentrating on something. True. Everybody is a perfect concentrator on something. The duration is generally short and the mind jumps around a lot. Let's suppose that the brain is this beautiful learner. And when you really have intentional, deliberate practice of something, you know, it forms myelin, the, the, the synapses get closer together, the signal goes across, and you can form, you can learn amazingly fast things, right? That's how the brain learns. It's just a bunch of neurons connected together in patterns. Now, they don't tell you how it's a virtuous cycle. But it could also be a vicious cycle. Hmm. So let's suppose someone distinguish that for me. Someone has learned about complaining. They become expert at complaining. Their mind wires for complaining. Even though complaining, we say, "Oh, I've just read a scientific study on this. If I just vent myself, I feel better." Nope. Science says you never feel better by complaining, and people around you feel worse. And the more you complain, the worse you feel. There's no value to it. However, if you are a person who's complaining a lot, you get great at complaining. If you're a person used to jumping your mind all over the place, to this, to that, to this, to that, you get brilliant at doing that. You always get what you practice, but rarely do we realize you could be what you're practicing. Yeah. Let's take a look at you know, complaining is one, gossiping, making other people wrong, trying to dominate situations, invalidating other people. These are practices people do. And they get really good at them. And your mind gets wired for that. And it's a challenge to break up that practice, a real challenge. But there are other forms of practice. Gratitude, care, appreciation, being present. All of those things, those practices, when engaged in, form a neural network. And they get easier to do also. My experience of people is they have no idea what they're practicing. You know, this whole thing of hitting and complaining or the the, you know, at the end of the round, at least I didn't embarrass myself too much and the whole bit that goes on, right? <laughs> All those sayings that we have at the uh, 19th hole. Yeah. So these are practices that we engage in that we become very expert at. And given that, we get them when we practice. If you are practicing having your mind jump all over the place month after month, year after year, you become really good at it. And to, to shift that is takes some energy. But it first takes a real willingness. To realize, what have I done to myself? I'm just a yappy complainer. Yeah, which is not not serving anybody. Well, you talk about it doesn't. You talk about in the book that the kind of concentration that that golfers uh, generally practice is 
ineffective for taking it on the golf course or the kind of uh, concentration that we apply in our daily lives is ineffective to how we play on a golf course. Yes. When people are on a driving range, great players, the etching of the experience goes into their body. And they walk to the first tee with the experience in their body, etched in there. That's what, how they can play. Mm. Poor players go to the first tee with the memory of the instruction they've given themselves. So they walk to the first tee, not in the experience, but with the memory of the instruction. And that always just, you know, doesn't make much difference at all. Eskimos have, you know, 30 terms for the word ice. They have a distinctions in ice people in the lower 48 don't have. Okay? Yep. There's also cultures who have distinctions in concentration. There's dabbling, there's merging, there's absorption, there's fascination, there's curiosity. You know, people who are listening to this have probably had moments in their life in which time disappeared. And they were so absorbed in the event that when they came out of it, they wished they could have been in it longer. And they've had practice sessions that they wish they could hold the sun up in the sky because it was so pleasurable. And these are not, these can be not just be random events. There can be ways of practicing, ways of focusing that could allow, I'm not talking for the, about the zone, you know, that's, that's beyond the scope of my conversation. Hmm. But just getting into the area code, you know, <laughs> getting close to that to be a nice place to be. And that's possible. And that's a practice. And when practices are like that, that are near peak experience, and you just fall in love with the whole thing. That's what makes a person uh, just fall in love with golf. And that's extraordinary. Well, it sure could be. And that's what keeps me in the game. I love it. When we get done with this phone call, I will go out and practice. I can hardly wait to be there because I'm learning at a more rapid rate now than I ever have in any time in my life. And I realized that, you know, this like the more you learn, the more you know there is to learn, that kind of thing. I have this fantasy that, you know, Ben Hogan used to practice at a place called Shitty Oaks in Dallas, Texas, of right, course. Right. There was a certain spot they had for Ben Hogan to practice, and, and nobody knows when it's their last day. I've been on Ben Hogan's last day of practice. He's hitting balls. He had a caddy shagging him out there. He's probably thinking, I'm getting this. I'm really <laughs> starting to get this. I wish I had known this before. This is so cool. And that, to me, would be the ultimate of practice. Wow. That, you know, this is a journey with no end and, a you know, a mountain with no top, whatever you want to call it. And when you, when you have that, that you can hardly wait to get there. There isn't like I'm trying to hold on to something or grab something or hope for something or fear of something. I just love to practice. Then it seems to be a game worth playing. So th this has been an absolutely incredible conversation and one that I wish we didn't have to stop, but uh, I want to be respectful of time. But let's just put a wrap around it by a simple question that says, one thought you'd like to leave the listeners with that inspires and captures in your mind, but inspires the, the, uh, the listener to extraordinary golf and truly what is the art of the possibilities. What would that be? Don't be fascinating. Stop trying to be fascinating to people. Tell your stories. Be fascinated. Let people wake you up. Let the golf course wake you up. Get out of your head. Come out to the golf course. And can you be a great partner for the people that you play with? See, the, the love and joy of the game has everything to do with people in the course. 
And what we're, you know, this, the happiness I've, you know, I've done, you know, over a thousand golf schools, 52,000 individual lessons and lots of corporate workshops. And what people always say is that, you know, just being with people, happiness, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment comes from being present with people and with a course. So let's don't make it like, you know, if you shoot a low score, it's going to make that much difference. Yeah. It's the other stuff. It's the other stuff. It's a game, a game to be enjoyed and loved. Well, that's a great way to, great way to end because I, I think for those of us who have not had a chance to read the, the book Extraordinary Golf, I would highly recommend you do it because I think you'll come up with the ideas and principles and thought-provoking concepts that can help you not only play better, but perhaps even more importantly, enjoy the game more. And isn't mm. that what it's all about? It's a game to be enjoyed not to be frustrating. And I think that's, in essence, what uh, one of the key things that I picked up from reading the book. So thank you so you much go. for that. Thank you so much for that. So for those uh, listening, Fred, that want to uh, get involved more with you and some of the, the programs that you might have, what would you recommend? Extraordinarygolf.com. Just look it up. If something in there catches your attention, you can either email, call, text, and, and have a conversation with some, someone. If it feels like it fits with the way you see life, fine. If you want to buy a book, it'll give you a good sense of what's going on with that. We have a couple of books out, and we're going to have another one out before too long, too. Well, you've got uh, the book Extraordinary Putting, yeah. which is a great book to read. And then what, what, you got a new one. Can you share a, uh, a preview of what that book is going to be titled? Well, we've had a 30-year exploration into mastery and coaching. Hmm. And I'd like to share the results of those 30 years. Wow. And that's what the book will be about. Yeah, I know many, many of your clients are PGA professional coaches, as well as some of the best players in the world. So uh, sounds like that would be interesting. Mm. And I would imagine, since self-coaching is, is part of what Extraordinary Golf is all about, uh, could mastering coaching be, uh, be part of the journey for an individual who just wants to be a better coach for themselves? Well, if you can't coach yourself, you can't coach other people. <laughs> you can't give away what you haven't explored. It's all, yeah. And that, that also, I think, is an extraordinary concept. Well, Fred, thanks again. Dean, I wanted to th thank you about for the opportunity to have this conversation. It's a, for both of us to think along the way. It makes it m more real for me, and thank you. Well, uh, boy, I, the pleasure was certainly mine, and the privilege was certainly mine. So, Fred, uh, a delight to be part of the show and, and a delight to share your wisdom and insights with all of the senior golfers that are listening. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, we really covered a lot in those two episodes with Fred Shoemaker. Thank you, Fred, for your generosity and your openness in, in sharing all of those ideas. Back in uh, the beginning of episode 015, I posed a, uh, several questions to you and asked you to remain open as you listen to uh, Fred and, and some of his ideas. Uh, he truly is a thought provoker and somebody who's gained a reputation as really helping transform not only individuals in the way that they see the game and the way that they learn how to coach themselves and the way that they learn the game, but also how they enjoy the game. And he's also transformed many coaches uh, who've gone on to have uh, great careers, notable award-winning careers as coaches and uh, adopting some of these principles. So I, I hope you got something out of that. If you liked it, uh, or even if you have just any feedback, I'd love to hear it 
uh, just go to the comments uh, tab um, on uh, the website, theseniorgolferadvisor.com, and uh, just tell me what you think. Um, if you'd like to have Fred on again, let me know that. If uh, you got something out of it, let me know that. If you got any areas for improvement, let me know that. So I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we were going to have a special offer, and yes, we do. It's the same special offer that was for 015. That is the video series called Extraordinary Golf. The Secret to Transforming Your Game. It's an amazing two-hour video. It's broken up into chapters that cover uh, a variety of uh, very important concepts from Fred's teaching and things that we covered in this episode and episode 015, plus much, much more. And you get to see it in video. And what's important about that is that you can watch before your very eyes the transformation that takes place with uh, both of the students that are featured in this episode. One, Michael Tucker, a former actor uh, with the uh, very successful TV series L.A. Law. Uh, he, uh, he does a great job working with the principals, and uh, he's a lot like you and me and uh, in terms of his golf game. But you watch him get better. You watch him in, embrace these concepts and get better, and it's pretty cool to watch. And then there's another student uh, that's a um, pretty athletic guy, uh, really swings pretty well, but he has some, some challenges with you know, really making good ball contact. And again, you see transformation take place before your very eyes. So if you like Fred's teaching, this is the way to go. And by the way, download this on your, on your laptop, download it on your smart devices. You can take this video with you wherever. And it's the kind of content that you're going to find something different each time you watch it. I've watched it two or three times and I'm always picking up something new and different to help my game and help the approach that I take in working with my swing. So again, limited copies. We only have 25. There, there, uh, quite a few of them went in uh, uh, the first couple days. So I would suggest get online right away. Go to the SeniorGolferAdvisor.com website page. Uh, go to the podcast episodes. Click on the read more for this episode 016 and you will find the special button, the special vi video series button. Click that, register, get your copy. You won't regret it, and it'll be a masterpiece for you to enjoy the rest of your life. So now we go to our listener spotlight, and this one's going to feature Scott. Scott is a 62-year-old living in down in beautiful San Diego. He's semi-retired from uh, a long career, and uh, he still dabbles in uh, real estate, and he manages properties uh, as part of his investment portfolio, and also has a lot of time to play golf. Scott is one of these individuals who is a, just a, he's a consummate learner and he really relishes the fact that golf is a bit of a technical game and uh, he's trying to uh, get better and better and better all the time in all facets of his game. And uh, he's a pretty good player. He has a USGA index of 7.6. He's been slowly carving that down uh, over the last couple of years. He's a big hitter, too. Uh, he hits the ball carry-wise 260 yards. It, it rolls out to roughly about 270. When he's playing, though, he tells me that he never tries to, to go over an obstacle, whether it be a bunker, uh, water, etc., if the carry is any longer than 230. So he's a smart player. Uh, he's not going to try to take crazy risks and play the odds. He recognizes that if he's really going to get better, and his goal is to get down to be a scratch golfer a minimum of a two handicap. And uh, in order to do that, he has 
made a commitment to the short game. And he recognizes that all the good players he plays with are able to get up and down so much more than he is. Uh, Typically, uh, he finds that if they have 10 opportunities, they're going to get about up and down uh, eight or nine of them. And uh, they're deadly from 70, 80 yards in. They, they are able to get the ball really close to the hole and, and be able to make those putts a lot more frequently than he is. So that's sort of uh, the, the level or the standard that he's putting himself through at the moment in trying to get better. He tracks everything. Uh, when he's playing. He tracks his up and downs. He tracks his number of putts, fairways in the green, sandies, up and down from the sand uh, bunkers. Uh, he he uh, more recently has been tracking uh, as he gets on the green, how close he's getting to the green and how many feet away. And all of this is kind of going into his uh, mental data bank in terms of uh, of getting better and more importantly, where he needs to practice. Now, he does admit that he has, uh, <laughs> kind of jokingly, about 10 to 12 swing thoughts when he's playing, and he, which he says is about 10 too many. I think we all might agree to that. A couple interesting things that he shared, uh, because he's, he's a, a consummate learner, he gets exposed to technology in a couple areas that might be interesting to all of you. One is um, there's an interesting measurement device, I guess you could call it, sort of a, a track man for putters called BLAST. And in that, it shows a number of different data points. Uh, it's, it's, it's where the club face is to the handle of the club as it's making contact with the ball. It's the, it's the putter speed. It's the time of the stroke. It's the, uh, the angle of attack, both up or down. He tells me that uh, the very best putters have a slightly downward a- angle of attack in putting. Uh, except if you have a very slow green, sometimes it helps to have more of an upward angle of attack. So those are all interesting data points for getting better in putting. Uh, he also is a big believer in filming yourself as you're practicing. And he uses a free app called The Coach's Eye. I'd highly recommend that for uh, filming yourself and being able to look at what you're doing. He believes that feel isn't real. And when you can see yourself, you can uh, dramatically improve your progress. So those are some advice tips from Scott down in San Diego. Scott, thanks for being part of the listener spotlight. Good luck in uh, continuing that goal of becoming a scratch golfer. I know you'll I know you'll be able to do it because of your commitment to it. So for those of you that uh, also would like to be part of the listener spotlight, again, what we're trying to do is share community here share ideas, uh, share ways that we're all working on our games that we might be able to, to uh, glean something from and help others. So uh, all you got to do is go to the Contact Dean page, uh, give me your name and uh, where I can reach you with your email address. Tell me your story in as much detail as you can that you think would be helpful or interesting for the guests. Again, you're not going to go on a marketing list here. I just want to be able to share the information as part of the listener spotlight. Nothing else you have to do. You're not going to be interviewed uh, on the spotlight. Uh, you just need to uh, be featured, and hopefully you've got a story that will be helpful to others. So again, thank you for listening to the Senior Golfer Advisor, and remember, always enjoy the game and keep swinging. Keep swinging.